it, the the fear calls me to take extra action. So a lot of people, when they when they get fearful, they pause. I saw it as okay. If I'm scared, what am I scared of? I dug deeper. What am I scared of? And if it's if it's the unknown, okay, what don't I know? And then let me go find out what I don't know. And I just kept digging, digging, digging. So I I took a lot of action on paper first before I ever did the deal. Versus most people, if they have a couple bucks in their pocket, they buy the cheapest thing they can afford, and they end up putting more money into it than it's worth, and they don't hit a home run. They actually strike out. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. So I'm going to start off the episode by asking you guys a question. And, you know, if you're working a regular job, have you ever dreamed of leaving your nine to five and going into real estate full time? I know many of you out there listening have done that. Well, today's guest has a story that many of you are going to be able to relate to. His name is Hone Tai, and he is a Philly-based real estate investor with three main focuses. His first focus and his specialty is finding and acquiring cash-flowing investment properties in emerging neighborhoods throughout the metro area. He's also a private lender, and he helps other real estate investors just starting out by offering in-depth coaching, training, networking. Uh, they also do like field trips where they go out and take, take a look at properties together and figure out whether or not they're worth acquiring. And he also has a Facebook group and a website called I escaped my nine to five, so newbies can make their way in the real estate investing world. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask you right at the top, what did you escape from? Uh, what was the corporate nine to five? I had a corporate nine to five as an engineer. And as an engineer, you work in a cubicle in front of your computer all day from start to finish. And then you go home and you go back and you do it again. And I just kept thinking to myself, this is not what I was built for. This is not what I was built for. You know, I know this is the quote unquote good job that you're supposed to have. Right. But who wants this? So, I mean, there are people out there who want it, just not me. And, and I was aware of that. And I guess it was time. At some point, it was just time to, to figure it out and, and escape, figure out a way to escape. I had listened to you on another podcast and you talked about how when you'd gone into that job, you, you knew mm -hmm. from week one. That it wasn't going to be, you were already plotting your escape. I was right? all, day one. Day you one. You told the I got, HR person? Yeah, I told okay. the HR person because I knew they didn't care. Because <laughs> okay. they don't want their job either. Nobody wants their job. <laughs> oh my God. And, and, and the thing is, most people aren't brave enough to say it. They just have to wear the corporate facade and act as somebody else. They have this this mask on that they're super professional, that they care about the company and all that kind of stuff. And then if you were ever to take them out to the bar, they don't care. And you see right through it. And so immediately I saw right through a lot of the people that were there. I could tell nobody was being themselves, including the HR person. And that's why I, to I told her, I was like, look, you know, I'm starting today. This is my first day, but I'm I'm going to be leaving. So wow. that, that was the conversation. Wow. And I don't know what caused me to tell her. I just felt like, telling her because i guess it just boiled over like the emotion was so high right there and then just seeing everybody i was just like oh you knew i gotta go <laughs> you knew wow so when did you make the the leap from working full-time in the corporate environment into the real estate yeah it took five and a half years because i had no idea when when you're looking to escape but you don't actually have a mentor or a coach or anybody like that showing you a way you just try to figure it out so you come up with all kinds of of businesses like i'm gonna print t-shirts and i'm gonna make enough money making you know cryptocurrency cryptocurrency whatever right. right but this was back in i don't know 2000 and 
eight, seven, something like okay. that. You know, okay. like so. But this was going right into the teeth of the, yeah, the recession. Yeah, the, the recession and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not a recession if you don't notice it. <laughs> so I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I still had a job, right? So it was no different in my life. Okay. Uh, now, I guess that was the blessing that I didn't escape right away, right? Uh, because I didn't escape until, I guess, like 2012 or okay. so. Okay, okay. So I didn't, I didn't notice. Let's, let's put it that way. I didn't know what the ma- this major recession thing was. Okay. Because um, that, you know, that was like the real big job out of college and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I, I didn't know. You know, you're still trying to figure out yourself. Right, right. Yeah. So what was the turning point for you? Was it was it like for a lot of people, it was rich dad, poor dad? That's, that's, that's what, what it was. was. Oh, boy. That was, that was it. That was it. Because like I said, you don't have – when you don't have mentors, when you don't have mentors and you don't have a roadmap. Role, role models, other people doing the yeah. real estate around you. Yeah. But even even more so, like I didn't have a – I didn't have a the proper roadmap that I felt confident in when I learned about real estate. And I saw that properties can create passive income and then you could also leverage and you have tax depreciation and all of the all of the benefits that real estate offers. When I saw that, I was like, there's the roadmap. I can confidently do this over and over and over. And that was the difference. That's what caused me to be able to escape. That's what caused me to say, okay. This is the path versus if I was thinking, okay, I'm going to sell T-shirts. What was the path? Who was I going to market to? What what was going to be on the T-shirt? Why would people choose me? Like all of that stuff, those questions, when the when when the answer is fuzzy, it's just it's just too scary to take the step. Mm-hmm. With real estate, the answers were clear. The answers were super super clear. Who's gonna Who's gonna rent for me? A renter, somebody like there's right. a million people, and why me? Because I have a nice place, and it, it's that's it. And I don't have to find a new person; they just rent from me over and over and over and over and over every single month. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Like that's it. So the the roadmap was super clear. That's why I choose real estate, uh, not not because of anything else other than the roadmap was super clear. All the other businesses were kind of iffy. A little bit of trial and error. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really clear what the what the roadmap was right now if there was a different book that had a clear roadmap selling t-shirts or something you know then maybe that would i wouldn't be here today talking to you about this you'd be wearing my clothes right right (laughs) but who knows (laughs) so what was your what was your first investment what was your first real estate investment uh it was my six unit apartment building it was in uh near the temple hospital area which sounds great but when it's near the Temple Hospital area, but not in the Temple Hospital area, it is terrible. It is it's a bad, bad neighborhood. But it was a big six unit apartment building that that was vacant, and it was like got under contract by somebody for nine thousand dollars. That oh person, wow. yeah, they got under contract for nine thousand dollars. They sold it to my mentor for eighteen thousand dollars. Then my mentor sold it to me for thirty eight thousand dollars. Right, and so everybody made money along the way. And then I bought it uh, using hard money, and then I rehabbed it. And when I was done, the ARV was close to three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So then I refinanced out and paid the hard money back. And so your first time up up at bat, you hit a home run. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that doesn't always happen. Well, it was because it the the fear caused me to take extra action. So I'm a little different in my in my life in, in in the terms of what I do. So a lot of people when they when they get fearful, they pause. I saw it as okay, if I'm scared, what am I scared of? I dug deeper. What am I scared of? And if it's if it's the unknown, okay, what don't I know? And then let me go find out what I don't know. And I just kept digging, digging, digging. So I just asked myself, okay, what don't I know? Maybe I don't know what the ARV is going to be. Okay. How are they going to calculate the ARV? So with the six unit, I figured that they were going to do the income approach, right? Okay. So you're taking the NOI divided by the cap rate, and then voila, you got the, the ARV. And so I was like, okay, it needs to be this certain number. And if it wasn't that number and it was slightly lower, does the deal still work, right? So then I just kept kept testing my deal, testing, testing. I took a lot of action on paper first before I ever did the deal versus most people, if they have a couple bucks in their pocket, they buy the cheapest thing they can afford and they end up putting more money into it than it's worth and they don't hit a home run, they actually strike out. 
Right. So that so was you, the difference. So you approached it like an engineering problem. Ta-da. Or right. a third grade math problem. Okay. Because that's all it is. <laughs> Real estate's not that hard. You buy it for X. You put Y into it. It equals Z. Is Z the value more than how much you put into it? If yes, then you win. Right. Right. <laughs> Ta-da. But people overcomplicate things. Or they don't complicate it enough, meaning as soon as they're scared – they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They just think, oh, I can't mm-hmm. do it. Too scared. Whatever. Right. And right. Then... Yeah, the fear paraly- paralyzes people. Sure. And I think the other thing, too, with, um, you know, going back to your example, a lot of people would have been like, wow, I got this property for so cheap. I really have a lot of room to play with in terms of budget. Sure. I mean, you know, so like if they got, you know, they got a six unit building for 38000 Okay, sure. So what if I kind of blow my construction budget because mm-hmm. I got... You know, I acquired it for such a low price. Right. But you're talking about basically coming up with different scenarios on paper. Yeah. Before you even step foot. Right. Right. It, you always start with the end. People look at the beginning. What did I buy it for? Oh, I bought it for 38000 I bought it for 10000 I bought it for 40000 That's cheap. You don't know if it's cheap unless you look at the value at the end. You have to start there first. But people... People are backwards mm-hmm, with it. They don't, mm-hmm. and that's what I also mean with the blueprint. If you don't know the way to analyze deals and and how to actually approach the business, then it's it, it's not going to make sense. And so mm-hmm. with real estate, it just made sense. Like here's my end value. Start there. Work backwards, and then you can figure out what what you should pay for things. Right, right. So um, after you hit that home run, what did you go on to do after that? What was your what was the next one? Well. Once you hit a home run, people notice. <laughs> and when people notice, other people, they they want to do things with you, right? And so then you get to cherry pick people based on their skill set. So there was, at the time, a person who was really good at finding properties. And I was I maybe wasn't so good at finding properties. I knew the analysis. I knew how to run the numbers of... The acquisition, the rehab, the refinance out, the, all of that stuff, how to raise the money even. But I didn't know where to find the properties. This person knew how to find the properties. So I said, okay, well, I'll bring the money. You bring the properties. Let's do it. And so that's what I did for a while. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're touching on a very important point of how to pick your partners. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, when they get into this game, they're like, oh, my best friend wants to do this. But if the best friend has the same skill set, or mm-hmm. bringing the same resources to the table, that's not necessarily a good partnership, right? Correct. Correct. There's, and a lot of times the best friend has no skill set. No skill set or <laughs> mom and dad. You know, Maybe they're bringing the money. Yeah. But a lot of times people aren't thinking about complementary yeah. skills in a partner. Yeah. So, so there, there's definitely complementary skill sets that people can bring. But you also the, – the, the project that you take on needs to justify the – the partnership and the arrangement and things like that. If you're doing a single family rental, you may not want to partner with somebody because the rent, the cash flow after the mortgage and all, not it's like me. two hundred dollars. Here's a okay. hundred, I get a hundred, right? And it's like it just it's it's not worth it. And then also when it comes to management of the property and it's one property, who's doing all the work? And then they're like, I'm getting all the calls and I'm doing all the repairs and everything else. And you're just collecting 50% and, and then resentment builds up and then your friendship is no longer. Right. So you, you got to be careful of that. The, so if the project's large enough, it supports different things. Like maybe it, it supports property management and neither of you are doing the work. So you can create a long-lasting partnership, but again, the project has to dictate the need for the partnership and the skill sets as well. Mm-hmm. So I just ran into a situation recently where one of my students said that they had a partner who was supposed to handle the construction part. Oftentimes, you see that partnership, right? You have the investor and then you have the, the contractor. contractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the contractor turned out to not really be a contractor, they don't, and they were just trying to sub everything out, and they didn't know how to pick subs. They just picked the first handyman that said that they can do the job, so that they, so they would pick the first handyman to do the job. The job would get done, and then it needed to be all ripped out and done over. So this person that you were relying on to have the skills of 
doing the construction of the project didn't actually bring the skills. So you have to watch these quote unquote construction guys or, or general contractors. They're not, they're just hiring subs and they right. don't even have their own premier subs. They just pick the first anybody who says that they can do anything and that'll get you in a lot of hot water that I've seen over and right, over and right. over. So what advice, how could you vet that relationship? So when you have a student like that who says, Oh, my partner is a contractor. What questions should your, should that uh, new investor be asking that quote unquote contractor who is now saying that they want to partner with them to make sure that this is a legitimate person? Okay. So there's a couple of things. It depends on how deep you want to go, right? The contractors that do the worst are the ones who have no money. So a lot of contractors rob Peter to pay Paul. They take on a lot of jobs and they'll ask for a deposit from person A and then they go and find person B and then they ask for a deposit for that one and then they used to, they spent person A's deposit already on their bills, their personal bills. So then they got to find person B to get a deposit so that they can do person A's job. And now person B's left high and dry because the contractor has no money. So you have to watch these contractors who who have no money. If if the if the contractor has no money, uh, then it it's going to sink your project. They're going to steal from the project, and then so. What you can ask for is, hey, you're the contractor, sure, and you're bringing that skill set, great, but I need you to bring money too. Bring money. And if they say, I can't, well, we can't be partners. Right, right. (laughs) So, I mean, that's not always the case, but, you know, that's a good test is, hey, can you bring money? Put the money in this escrow account or something Mm -hmm. like that, like Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And that, 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 is more fair, I think, because the contractors could could double dip on the project because they can charge the project their going rate or more and say like, oh, yeah, this rehab is $80,000 when really it's supposed to be 60000 So, oh, and at the end, they're 50% of the partner and they get 50% of the profit and they made the, the, the extra $20,000 on the deal already. Right. And so you just got to watch. So instead of partnering up with the contractor uh, or – partnering up with a contractor that asks you, you go find the person that you want to work with. You go seek them out based on their reputation. If you know this person has done a whole lot of good for a lot of different people, then maybe that's the person you could possibly bring on. Mm -hmm. But also ask yourself, why do you want a contractor to be your partner? Okay, Why, Why are you having them be your partner versus just hiring Hiring them, them, Mm -hmm. right? And if it's the money, then figure out the money part. But there, there's there's other ways. You don't necessarily have to partner with them. If if it's a money thing, then maybe do a better deal. Okay. Okay. You know, so you don't have to partner with this, th- these people. So you you like the idea of partners, at least when people are starting and getting their their footing in real estate investing. No, I don't actually. Oh, you don't like the idea of partners. No. Oh, okay. No, I don't because oh. too many bad things happen because okay. you're because you're too new to realize what. The whole picture is if you're in real estate just starting out, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you don't really. know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know. And there's so many moving parts at the same time that what you're focused on will take up all your time. And then what's going on on some other part you're not aware of. And you don't have enough bandwidth and comfort level, right? You don't have enough bandwidth and comfort level to be able to see a problem brewing right so right so if you're brand new i absolutely don't recommend a partnership unless you really have some kind of skill set that that made you really comfortable in the business that you can see problems brewing a lot of times new investors get blindsided because they never saw it coming right wow so that's i don't i don't recommend that so, Hone, when did you start your um, your workshop and uh, mentoring business? Uh, that started. I escaped my nine to five. Yeah, yeah. So, so it it was interesting. So, three and a half years ago, I was introduced to this real estate education group. They were having their very first meeting, and I was invited to their very first meeting. And I went. And because I had already done deals, I thought, you know what? Maybe I don't need to be a part of this. I already know what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff. But I, I went back to their next meeting the month after. And I said, you know what? 
I should join this because every time I ever paid for any kind of real estate education, I learned something that allowed me to make way more money, way more than I ever spent, right? So people are so scared of spending money. The reason that they're so scared is because maybe they don't think they're a good investment. Like they themselves are a good investment. I looked at as I'm a great investment. I'm going to put all kinds of money into me because when I learn it, they can't take it away from me. Right. I got that now. And that skill set is going to make me rich and it's going to stack and compound. So I'm going to learn this and I'm going to learn that. I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to build a relationship with that person. I'm going to learn this area. So every time I spent money on myself, I made it back 10 times or 100 times. So then I came back to that same meeting. The month later, and I said, you know what? I'm going to join, and I paid, and I paid $20,000 actually to join the group. And it seems like, wow, that's a lot of money, but we're talking real estate here. How much money do you make in real estate, or how much money could you lose in real estate? We're, when you're doing real estate deals, we're talking six-figure, seven-figure mm-hmm. kind of money. Right, right. To spend $20,000 on myself is on a good education. investment. On your education. Yeah, right. but mm-hmm. then I hear about people who have $150,000 worth of college debt and that's okay right but spending twenty thousand on real estate education is stupid or something well i mean i will say i mean there are a lot of people out there uh that are running the weekend workshops the book the boot camps um and you know 20 grand for six months of coaching or whatever like that i think the 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 real important thing is there's some people who pay that money and rightfully or wrongfully have a feeling of entitlement that because they paid that money, something's going to now happen, but you still have to put in the work. So even if you're paying somebody five figures to coach you, to mentor you, you still have to roll up your sleeves and, and hit the pavement and start making contacts, making offers, making deals. You can't just sit at home. It's not an E-Trade account (laughs) where you're just kind of, you know, waiting, waiting for people to tell you what to do next. So I think that's the big difference. And I've heard lots of people complain about, uh, you know, these multi-thousand dollar coaching programs. But then when you kind of peel the onion a little bit, in some cases, yeah, maybe it wasn't the right fit for them. But in other cases, you find out the person wasn't attending the webinars, you know, didn't open up the, spre- open up the spreadsheet once, <laughs> fiddled around with it, um, and then kind of went on to the next bright, shiny ob- object. Well, that's great. They got a great $20,000 lesson in life that you still got to do it. You still got to do it. So people like to blame other people. Stop blaming them. Yeah. I'm sure whatever they bought no into, excuses. Yeah. whatever they bought into, I'm sure that the, the information was fantastic. You just weren't the right person, right? And I like to take responsibility. If it didn't work out for me, that was my fault, not theirs, right? Because if it's their fault, that means I had no power in the situation. I like to say that it was my fault, good or bad. So when things go bad, I have control to change it. If it goes good, I'm like, see, that was me. Right, right. right? So that's like a Navy SEAL um, extreme leadership. I think that's what they call it. Okay, like a mentality that you know the accountability. Sure. Start, it starts with 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 you. Right. If you guys want some kind of change in your life, then do it. It's you. Right. It's you. Now right. you don't have to pay twenty thousand like I did, but I mean, hey, it it accelerated my growth. So. I love the fact that I can pay for this acceleration. I can pay for mentorship. I can pay to enter a network of driven and motivated people to get around who are doing deals. So the fact that I can pay, it's like fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'll keep doing it. I'll mm-hmm. keep paying. Okay. And, you know, I'm just going to make more money from what I'm paying from. Like what I'm paying to, right. I'm just right. going to make more money from it. So that I can go pay for other ones and keep doing that and keep doing it. And I'm going to be my best investment. So now I'm invited to different podcasts and things like that. Right, why? Exactly. Because I have the skill sets. I've had the experience. I've done the deals. And why? Because I've always invested in myself. So those listening, scared of investing in yourself, that's just because you're a bad bet. you know. And if you're not investing in yourself, who else would want to invest in you? We talk about OPM, OPM, raising money. That's other somebody, people's money. Right? Other people's mm-hmm, money. Mm-hmm. That's them investing in you. You want to borrow money from a bank? Why did the bank? Why does the bank want to invest in you? Why does a hard money company want to invest in you? Right? You're a bad bet. So until you change that, you're always going to be a bad bet. You're always going to blame other people. You're going to blame society. You're going to blame the president. You're going to blame the economy. You're going to blame the market. You're going to blame everything. 
and take no accountability and have no results in your life. So this is very important. So this whole importance of having the right uh, mindset and framing a situation in a positive way. So everybody's talking about how we're at the peak. We're at the peak of the market. Yeah. Um, that, you know, something's going to happen. We're, we're headed for a correction. We're headed for a downturn. Yep. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't scare you, obviously. Did they say that in 2016? Let me ask you. Did they say that in 2016? Yeah. Did they say it in 2017? Yes. Did they say it in 2018? Yes. Did they say it in 2019? Yes. So if they bet money, <laughs> if they shorted, I'm sensing a pattern here. If they shorted the market every single year, they would have lost huge. But what goes up must come down, right? Sure. Sure. Or continue. Just because it should, it could, it doesn't. Like it doesn't mean it will. Or it doesn't mean it will right now. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they said that in 2016, 17, 18, 19. Like, that's not like six months. No, that was four years of being wrong. Just because it has happened doesn't mean it will happen. The thing is, yeah, sure, it may happen, but at what size? And what does that actually mean for mm-hmm, you? Mm-hmm. All of these people who think they're so smart. And they say, oh, the market's coming down and da 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 right? I'm just going to sit back on the sidelines and I'm going to stack my cash and wait for the market to come down. Okay, great. You missed, uh, you missed out on the biggest bull runs of all. The, they do it all the time. Like the people who try to sell you uh, mutual funds and stuff, they say, look, if, if you try to time the market, they want you to constantly invest. They say, just get it mm-hmm. on a, a schedule, put your money in right. every single month. Right. right. Because they said if you miss the 10 greatest trading days – of 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 a decade of a decade or whatever you just miss 10 days your results go from this to this right and it's drastic well you just missed four years well, you know then what so but with your approach i mean you you are all about the numbers and about analyzing the deal sure. that's in front of you sure and the economy is secondary to that so right? it, so if if i am purchasing properties that i'm renting out to Section 8 or any kind of other government subsidy uh, Voucher. vouchers mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? If the market drops, does that mean that my vouchers stop coming in? Does the subsidy stop? And the answer is no. no. Has it dropped? Has it, has it gone away in the past? Did it go away in 2008? No. So what am I worried about? I'm not, right? So I'm continuing to buy properties that support themselves in ways that are hedging against the a potential drop. I'm not ridiculous in the way like it's never going to drop. <clears throat> I'm just not worried about it because you mitigate risk as any investor does. Any good investor, they mitigate mm-hmm, risk. Mm-hmm. So how, did, how am I currently mitigating risk? I'm buying properties that are low enough in price that no matter what happens, that somebody would be interested in it. And I'm also renting out with government subsidies. And if that goes bad, these properties are cheap enough that if I had to evict that person, somebody else would move in and can afford it because it's not the high end. Right. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, we have an affordable housing crisis. Yeah. So, so there's there always going to be a market. Right. Right. So if I have that going on, then I'm not too worried about that market. But at the same time, over the last four years, all of my properties have appreciated greatly. So I'm glad that I got in despite what all these people who are saying, oh, the market's going to crash, market's going to crash. You know? So if you're still waiting on the sidelines, sorry. I don't know. You missed out. Right. Get in the game. Get in the game. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. (laughs) Yeah. Just mitigate risk. That's all. Don't be afraid of it. Mitigate. Right. So when did you dis- so you decided to form your own group? So you were in you were active in this one group. So yeah, that that group I joined, that twenty grand group, I joined. While in it, I created a name for myself, but within the group. So now, not only am I in the group, I now run the group. So I, you know, oh, you, you okay. create your okay. own promotion. Right. Right. You you know, so just. Just be valuable in the world and people will notice. If, if people take anything from anything, be valuable. Mm-hmm. People will notice. Right. So right. I brought a lot of value to the group. I was always in the front of the room. I was speaking. I was welcoming people in. Everybody knew my name. I was offering services. I was mentoring. I was doing all this kind of stuff for free. And I still do it for free. <laughs> right? But now I run it. 
now I run the group. So now this is my group and I cre- create my own brand inside the group, which is oh, okay. I escaped my nine to five. Okay, okay. Right, so then, and it's not even my group. I do run a lot of aspects of it, but it's our group because we are a group of real estate investors that come together and meet to discuss strategies so that we can do deals. And I joined at the highest package, 20 grand. I'm all in with most things I do. We have lower packages for other people who want to get in, and it's as low as $200 to start. So, you know, the barrier of entry is very small, Mm -hmm. but even with that barrier of entry of $200, it keeps a lot of people out. And maybe for the better. Because if everybody came in, people bring all kinds of energy. And if they are afraid of spending $200 on themselves, I don't want them in the group. You know, I don't want them in the group because they don't have the right mindset to, to say that they are a good investment. All they would be bringing is this scared energy. And that scared energy may take the rest of the group down. It's contagious. It's super contagious. Right. right. And they don't even know it that they have this energy. So they're just bringing people down left and right. They're complaining about how the world is. Why Why me? Uh, like, mm-hmm. boo-hoo. And then other people might pick up on that. Right, right. So good. Stay out. It's fine because there's a whole bunch of the right people mm-hmm. in the group. Mm-hmm. And how did you know that the that name, I Escape My 9 to 5, would be I... so resonant with this niche of real estate investing? Do you, are you because there are, are lots of people that talk about leaving their nine to five mm-hmm. and going off to like you said start the t-shirt shop start a restaurant you know do something that's entrepreneurial mm-hmm. but where you gotta really make your own way do you, are you familiar with this um this this company called uh google <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i've heard of them yeah what <laughs> what does google mean it means everything to everybody now. Right, right. But it means nothing in by itself. They created that. Somebody else could have created I Escape My 9 to 5 and it not be what it is today. It's not that I knew it would resonate or whatever. I picked it and then I just ran with it and pumped it and pushed it and created what it is that it is. So I didn't know. I made it so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You spoke it into existence. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's with everything. So how big is the group now? Uh, we have 500 or so people. And you guys meet weekly? or Yeah. Week? Every week. Every week we meet. Um, we used to have two locations, but now we have one. And when we had two locations, it was two days a week. But now, now, it's, just, now it's just the one. But still, still good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Still, still real good. And so it's a combination of in-person meetings, uh, online yep. training. Yep. Online trainings. So what it is. Like a self-pace. A self. No. Oh. We actually have a curriculum that we follow. And it takes about six months to get through the curriculum. And what it is is there are videos that you watch on your time at home. But every single week we're going over what you watched kind of like a book club meeting. Mm, okay. You read the book at home, you come in, and then we discuss. The Q&A. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we discuss. We have a facilitator that volunteers. Mm. It's just one of the students who watched the video as well, but they're facilitating the conversation in front of everybody else, and now we're having a dialogue. Is this like a Zoom? Like a Zoom? No, in, oh. me, in, in person. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but we, we do stream to our private Facebook group, uh, but it, it's an in-person thing because – you know, it's it's easy. It's great. There's energy. You feel energy when you're in that room with everybody else and we're all talking about the same thing. And then you can see people growing and progressing and learning and light bulbs going off and all of that. Right. So meeting every single week is super powerful because then you really get to meet and know a person. And these are the people you're going to be doing deals with. And when mm-hmm. I say do deals, you're not necessarily partners, but like maybe you're lending money to somebody or maybe you're, you're providing whole, wholesaling a deal or maybe you're providing a service like if you're a, a demo contractor or you build railings or you do anything, install windows, right? Like you get to meet, oh, I do that. Hey, can I help you with your project? Or, oh, I'm doing this. Can I hire you for that? And so it's, it's nice to get together, but then to have a common topic allows everybody to connect because at the very least we can all talk about that one mm-hmm. thing it's not an awkward networking session where it's like oh we're networking go in there go play 
right? Okay. And then you, you see people, first thing they do is they go to the bar because they're awkward. They get a drink and they stand by the wall and they just kind of wait and like they feel it out. Whereas with our group, because we're all there to meet, to talk about that one specific topic, everybody feels super comfortable collected together because they can talk together about that thing. At the very least, we have that one commonality. It's the topic of the day, which eliminates all awkwardness in the room, mm-hmm. and everybody can really collaborate. So it's it's a, a more improved networking session. Right, right. And that probably sets the, <clears throat> sets the foundation for people realizing that real estate investing is a team sport. Like yeah. you, can't, you can't be the lone ranger right? Um, because we are the lone ranger. That's when you run, you hit your blind spots. And you, you know, run into problems. If you are the Lone Ranger and you buy a property. My precious. Right. Right. And you you saved up all the money. That took forever because you didn't want to borrow any money from anybody. And so that means it took forever for you to gain enough money. And then you, once you bought the property, you decided to fix it up yourself because you're the Lone Ranger. And that's going to take you a long time. Then you went to go rent it out and do the credit checks and all of that stuff. And that took a while. And then you had to show up for all of the showings. And that took a while. So you didn't escape your nine to five. You created something even worse. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely created something. That is huge. Yep. A lot of people are leaving the the nine to five, the shackles of of the office job. Yeah. To go take on the shackles of of a real estate nine to five actually it's 24 7 yeah yeah notice i'm here i'm here today <laughs> because i'm not working on my properties you wow. know so it's it, the the point is to get back your life because you don't get time back you no matter how much money you make you can't time. buy any time yeah. Yeah. Right? You can do a lot of deals. You can make a lot more money if you do all the work yourself, maybe. But you can't get back the time that you spent doing the work. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about um, who are the three key people that all you know newbie real estate investors need to have on their team. What would you say as a, as a bare minimum? Who are the three um, types of roles that they should have in their – yeah, so if I could change if, if, if I could roll the clock back and start my career all over mm-hmm. again, I would say definitely have someone like a bookkeeper on your team because interesting. Okay, because keep the numbers straight. Because yeah, that's all real estate is. That's it. That's all real estate is. Is the bookkeeper and know the what number. the real cash flow is? Right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all it is. And we as investors have horrible bookkeeping because. We're busy finding deals and networking and raising money, and, and and we're too busy doing doing the business, right? So if we're too busy doing the business, that's fine. But if it's it's important to have that bookkeeper just track your business because that's how you look like a professional when when you're trying to get more money and the bank's asking, can you provide that personal financial statement or whatever? Right. You, you have your bookkeeper. and you know exactly what your expenses are, exactly what your cash flow is. Yeah, yeah. and then you can show them like, here you go, right? Here you go, right? So. So if I were to rewind my tape, I would just do it. And if it seems like it costs a lot of money, then make more. <laughs> make more money, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's often the answer. So so definitely make more money. Um, so basically having some financial discipline and some financial um, structure uh, processes, operating operating procedures in place yeah. as a as a – Real estate person. Yeah, having someone track all your stuff. Um, the other the other person that you may want to have is – and a lot of times like your, your spouse, significant other, someone does this role. It's it's kind of like the um, the the operations, the, the paperwork behind everything, you know, getting rental licenses and utilities and property insurance and just making sure that that's all on the up and up. And so it could be a, an assistant. It could be a who, whoever, right? It's just somebody to help you handle that because eventually that gets overwhelming, right? When you have one property, cool. That's one water bill, one insurance mm. uh, policy. That's one whatever. But then once you start getting into like 20 policies, 30 policies, and then this one started on this date and ended on this date, and then this, you know, and it starts all overlapping, and even the addresses are starting to become a blur, you need some help, and you, so pick someone with really good organizational skills. Whoever that may be, if it's not your significant other, then don't don't use them for that. You need someone who can track it really well, 
but just find somebody really good organizational skills Mm -hmm. put it all in a spreadsheet they know the dates of this start and end and they know to look it up and all that kind of stuff so have that person that's definitely a good one and then finally just have your contractor right that's your third right Uh, because the prop it's it's the property It, it makes or breaks or if you have a property management company who can fix your properties because they have their own contractors or just you know mm-hmm. just somebody who does the work just have that person that really good relationship and don't always try to go the cheapest and right. don't always like beat them over the head every single time because good good yeah, work they, they got to make money yeah and but their but their value is like it's like gold well this goes back to what you were saying before about the, t- uh, the time yeah i mean if you get a bad contractor you and do- then you have to go back and have another contractor redo the work. You uh-huh. have lost time. Yeah. Well, and those are holding costs. Those are, I mean, there's there's a there's a a, a dollar amount mm-hmm. associated with that lost time. Yeah. My contractor just told me yesterday. Actually, he said uh, he was on the phone with this guy, and the guy had asked him for a quote. He gave him a quote that was, I think, six thousand dollars higher than this other contractor. Mm-hmm. The only contractor did the work for $6,000 less, did all the work. By the time it was done and then the inspector walked through, the inspector said, do not allow this person to do any more work at this property because all of this is incorrect. So then the the investor called my contractor and said, hey, can you come fix all of this? And he said, yeah, sure. It's going to be whatever. Let's say $20,000, right? So – now you're spending a, an additional $20,000, so you're 14 in the hole, but then you also spent all the time and interest money, the interest on the money and everything else, so you've burned through a lot of time and a lot of extra money and additional stress and all of that stuff. So, And then loss, uh, loss rent. So if, you're, if you were to rent the property, you, you missed out on lost rent. So yeah, you can be cheap and then pay for it twice. So there's this, yep. this concept of cry once. So a lot of people... Are cheap and they they pay a cheap price and then they have to pay again and that's crying twice mm-hmm. or three times or four times mm-hmm. cry once pull the band-aid off fast and move on right right yeah so hone what are uh what are some neighborhoods in philly that you see a lot of opportunity uh, right now in 2020 that's tricky okay that's always so tricky okay because there there's opportunity everywhere there's, there is and it, it really depends on your exit strategy who you are as an investor, what you want to deal with and all of that, right? Because we can say like, oh, the, the C and D class have the best ROI because of the you know cash on cash return and everything. Uh, but if you're not the investor to deal with that, then you don't want to deal with that. I, I have people who grew up in really bad D areas who make a fortune in those areas because he knows everybody on the block. He is the one you get worried about. Right, okay. If you saw him, you cross the street. Like, But he, as an investor in that area, works out well. So it really depends on who you are. For or other he, people... Well, he's got everybody on the block acting as uh, a property manager yeah. in terms of eyes and ears. And, exactly. Yeah. Whatever it is that he needs, right? right? And then he's also renting out to the other people. Maybe he's doing rooming houses or whatever, oh, okay. right? So mm-hmm. he has picked a business model based on his, his skill set. with what he... Him, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So it's not necessarily in the neighborhood because ideally, how about we all just invest in Rittenhouse Square? Well, why doesn't it align with you? Because you don't got enough money, <laughs> you know? Right. So it just depends on who you are. So there's no neighborhood that's like, oh, this one is the one. Okay. It's okay. who are you? Okay. And then also you can't predict. So it's all about appreciation. It's like, oh, I hear Kensington's hot, right? All the new development and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but – do you want to deal with it as it transitions? Nobody wants to deal with that gentrifying. They want to buy it when it's gentrified. Right. It's Cinderella. They want it. Yeah. 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 They're like, oh, this is a hot neighborhood. And then you walk through it. And it's like, uh, it's should not, I park my car there? It's not, yet, it's not there yet. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. that, they're not ready. They're not actually ready for the good opportunities because their brain is too scared of what it actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about gentrifying neighborhoods. But they don't actually want to put their money in there yet. They want it once it's gentrified. And then by then, it's a completely different mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And so now it's not the up and coming. It came. And right, now you got to pay right, top right, dollar. Right. Well, um, we were talking about this before the show started. I was going to ask you what your dream real estate project was. But 
you have a very interesting answer to that question. Yeah, my dream real estate project doesn't exist because I don't like real estate. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> plot care. twist. Yeah, plot twist. <laughs> I don't care about the real estate. I can talk with the best of that the best. That's shocking. Yeah, I I can talk with the best of the best. I can go in and out and go deep with all kinds of analysis about real estate and strategies, how to raise money, all that kind of stuff. I can talk to all kinds of people about it. And I don't like real estate. I just use it as the vehicle to pay for my life. I do it for the money because it makes sense. You have appreciation, depreciation, you have leverage, you have cash flow. You have all of these things that are like done for you and it's streamlined and it's a clear path of wealth. Like there's a mm-hmm. clear path to take to wealth in real estate. So I go, okay, well, while I am looking for my passion. I'm just going to keep walking down this road and make money. <laughs> I'm just going to keep making money in real estate while I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing in this world. And then by the time I figure it out, because I don't know it right now, and a lot of people don't know it. I wasn't born with like a great voice. Obviously, you can hear it today. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't do any of that kind of stuff. I can't play sports at the level people would pay to watch, right? So I wasn't born necessarily with like, oh, his dream is this and he has the skill set. And I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure that out. But when you have all the money in the world, you can then do whatever it is that you want. So let me keep walking down this road. <laughs> but I will say, I will say that there are a lot of people that find themselves in your position as somebody who's, you know, crushing it in real estate, doing really well with real estate and not interested at all in mentoring, helping other people, training other people, sharing the knowledge. Oh, so yeah. You might say that you don't like it, but there is some aspect of it that is resonating with you because of what you're giving back to the community. So here's a, here's a funny question, right? If I help you, if I help mm-hmm. you directly make a million dollars, what can I do next? Borrow a million dollars from you. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> If I don't help you make a million dollars. So it's really that transactional? How much can I make? How much can I borrow off you? Okay. It's not that transactional, but it's an idea, right? So let's take it another step. Hey, learn real estate. Make a lot of money. So let's say you did. Hey, you want to go on vacation? You want to go hang out? You want to go do something that costs a lot of money? Yeah, because you can? Cool. Let's do it. Right. Right? It's, you know, I like having friends and I like having friends that can come out and play. Too many people are stuck at work. Okay, right. I'm free. How about you? No? Okay, let me call somebody else. How about you? You free? No? All right. I guess I'll catch you at 5 or 6 p.m. tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever. It's not that transactional. It's very actually very fulfilling to help other people. But then the side benefit that I learned about after I started helping people was that my world started opening up. All kinds of opportunities opened up for me when I helped other people. It's not that transactional, but it has become very like filled with opportunity. It, it just it's just been abundant. Like as I helped more people, more opportunities came my way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like my life got better as I helped other people. So then it's like your brain goes, "Oh, then help more people," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's, that's a selfish thought. Right. Right. Yeah. That's like a Zig Ziglar um, a quote, you know, the more people – you could get what you want when you help other people get what they want. Right, right. And, that, and that's what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't transactionally planned that way. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And I only came up with that little joke of like if I help you make a million, then I can yeah. borrow a million. Right. I just came up with that like two weeks ago. I, but that's what it has become because of – the observation of what happened when I started helping people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of people don't help because maybe they don't have an abundance mindset. They think that if I help you figure out how to invest in real estate, then it takes away my my opportunities. It doesn't. It just opened up more because now I have other people who are able to find properties, get them under contract, sell them to me, and I get to uh, build my portfolio, and they get to make a couple bucks mm-hmm. in the in the make mm-hmm. you know in the meantime. So Hoon, what's on the horizon for you in 2020? What are you most excited about um, looking ahead? Uh, just doing more things, uh, challenging myself, doing bigger deals, working with more people, taking on new new ventures, 
the the thing that I like most about how I operate is I'm quick to say yes. I have this philosophy of fire, aim, ready versus ready, aim, fire, right? So I just fire. I say yes to a lot of things because I notice every time I say yes to something, my life started to change, good or bad. The bad I learned from, the good was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And that's what people look for. People want changes in their life, but change only comes if you say yes to things. So I'm quick to say yes, right? So I'm very excited for 2020 as I was for every single year because I just say yes to new opportunities. Hey, Hone, you want to do a podcast on Friday at, yeah, at, at 10 a.m.? 10, 10 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, let's do it, right? Because I don't know what's going to come of it. But something Something will come of it. Who knows? And it could be something really small or it can be something really big, but we don't know. It's a chain. It's like one thing leads to another. And when you look back and you analyze how that connection got made, it's like, wow, that came about because of some event that you went to, you know, two years ago. Right. It led to, it led to the stage oh, or whatever. I, I'm right? experiencing a lot of that in my life now that like something I did two years ago, three years ago, five years, like 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's absolutely. Great. That's great. Well, Hone, we're almost out of time here. If people want to uh, connect with you online, what's the best place for them to find you? I guess they can find me at, I escaped my nine to five on Instagram. Uh, they can email me at Hone. That's H O A N like loan Hone at I escaped my nine to five. And that's, the number nine, the word T-O, and f- the number five. So I escaped my nine to five.com. And you can also go to my website, I escaped my nine five.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. It yes. turned out to be a, a very motivational conversation for me as well. Oh, well, fantastic. <laughs> I look so- forward to borrowing a million dollars from you soon. <laughs> So, folks, that's a wrap for another episode of the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. Remember, you can also find more interviews like this at jumpstartgermantown.com. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button whenever you find this podcast on Apple, uh, Google, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.